Hello, I'm Arafat. I'm in the UK. And I'm Mohammed, and I'm in the US. And you're listening to Slow Pit Stop. Exam. Oh no! We're recording. We're recording. <laughs> Why did you put that? <laughs> Hello and welcome Where? to Slow Pit Stop. My name's Arafat, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Mohammed. Say hi, Mohammed. Hi, Mohammed. Say, I went to the Grand Prix, Mohammed. I went to the Grand Prix, Mohammed. Amazing. So, uh, you know, me and Mohammed haven't actually spoken. Um, we usually we talk a bit off air uh, and then we get into the episode, but we've not spoken at all because I'm so excited to hear about his weekend and everything that's happened that I thought, right, let's just get it all live. Um, so obviously a really busy weekend, loads of happy in the world of Formula One. Um, there was obviously the news that Dietrich Mateschitz sadly died. Um, and obviously, you know, we send condolences and thoughts to his friends and family. And I think that was difficult for a lot of people in Red Bull. They wrapped up the Constructors' Championship, which was very expected. But there's this big question about the cost cap hanging over their heads. Um, but rather than speculating and getting into that i think we'll have our fifth beetle adam on in a couple of weeks and we'll talk to him about all of that but for this episode i really just want to get into what it's like as a fan of formula one to experience a grand prix weekend so muhammad how are you i'm doing very very good i'm still in a little bit of post coda withdrawal <laughs> just a bit <laughs> um it, honestly, your your pictures, your videos, the little bits that you could send me. Sadly, you seem to be in some sort of telephone signal black hole. You are very difficult you know they, to get a hold they of. They have five G towers at the track. Like they have them. Like it's not like you know they're relying on just the general Texan network. They have their own dedicated towers around the track, and even with that, it can't support you know four hundred and forty thousand people using it all at once. So yeah, the only thing I could basically do was send like standard SMS messaging. I couldn't use WhatsApp, couldn't use Twitter. Uh, any hope of using my ESPN app to watch the race live was completely down the drain. I couldn't do any of that. So it was like a data black hole. And then whatever little data I got is what I could send text to you about, you know, what I'm doing. So yeah, that was <laughs> quite but a weird thing. Let's go all the way back to Friday when you were traveling there because you live yeah. in New York, right? I do live in New York. So tell me about the journey down. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, get, so like, there's only a couple airports that really service getting you to Texas. Like it's the big airports. And as I got my connecting flights, getting into Texas is getting more and more hype. Cause you see more and more people with formula one gear. I think I said this on an episode like last year that once I was like walking in the mall and I saw somebody with a Ferrari F1 shirt and he saw me with my Mercedes shirt and we like locked eyes. It was like a, like a, you know, duel in the desert type thing. It was really cool. Well, like getting in the airport and seeing more and more F1 fans was getting really exciting. And then as I'm in Dallas trying to get to Austin, which was my final uh, flight to, to take to get into Austin, you know, the, we're in the plane on the tarmac going to take off and then the pilot gets on the radio and or on the speaker system and he's like so some of you might know and this is a plane that is probably like 80 percent full of formula one fans everyone's wearing gear by the way and nice. he's like so some of you might know that there is a, a grand prix in austin this weekend 
Well, we've just been informed that they're doing a complete stop of all air traffic into and out of Austin due to the Grand Prix uh, as flights will be going over the track or something. He said something like that. And the audible go- uh, like groan you could hear from the 20% of passengers who aren't Formula One fans or even just the fans was so everyone was like, oh, and then the guy next to me was not a Formula One fan. And he's like, ah, that's BS. These effing Formula One fans, they're ruining it for the rest of us. And I'm sitting there with my Mercedes hat on, my shirt, <laughs> and I'm like, like that's me, uh, I ruined it for you. <laughs> I was like, listen, buddy, I'm trying to get there. Like, I'm not trying to ruin this for you. I also want to go. It's not like I asked him to stop. So initially, I thought it was the FIA shutting down all traffic because FP1 was going to start as we landed. But then I found out later that there's such an influx of private jets of rich and famous people coming into that airport that they didn't have the landing space for normal planes. So they stopped all planes Uh, for an hour and a half. So you got screwed over by rich people. Which is the theme of this weekend, I will tell you. There was a lot of rich (laughs) times rich people got stuff that I didn't Because you sent me a text. Um, Where is it? Let me... I can't, I can't find it. it was, I'm, I'm having to scroll too far back. But basically, <laughs> I was like, are you there yet or something? And you were like, no, the FIA doesn't want me to get there. They've grounded my plane. And I was like, ha, 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 funny joke. And then you're like, no, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So Adam also texted me. He's like, was that a joke about the FIA or have they actually grounded your plane? And I was like, no, they've actually grounded my plane. So I missed FP1 and FP2 because I was stuck Ugh. in Dallas waiting for the plane to take off. It was it was quite frustrating so have you ever been to austin before i have not been to austin before i haven't even what was been the atmosphere like before. when you landed oh my god it was like yeah you know well so i landed i got to the track uh basically right after fp2 ended and before the green day concert so i told myself i'm just going to the track for the green day concert and to explore and like it's basically like the whole like vibe of the of a grand prix it's not just a race i was like telling this to other people it's like uh, an amusement park because there's rides everywhere there's like a roller coaster yeah. there's like a ferris wheel it's like an amusement park it's like an american um like uh festival like we have like you know all the the food and the drinks that you would expect that comes with like a festival or um like the attractions like you know there's a pit stop challenges and there's simulators and there's a whole area with red bull cars you can go look at and ferrari cars and you, you, just ignoring the race there's so much going on that over the weekend i felt like i only scratched the surface of what i could do i feel like there's so much that i missed out on even just like food and drink like i got only mm. you know what food was closest to me but there was like deep fried oreos dipped in ice cream and <laughs> like lemonade and like just the craziest and um, most american things you can find yeah. and i really only got like a little bit of it so and the lines were it's basically like going to Disneyland, honestly, because everything mm, you want to do yeah. and there's lines for everything, but you can't you can't pay for a fast pass. Well, you can pay for a fast pass, but I don't have ten thousand dollars to pay for the fast no. passes. But yeah, so and then on top of all that, you have the race stuff going on too. So so many times I'd be like in line for something and I'd be like, well, I need to get out of line because qualifying is going to start or something else is going to start, and I don't want to miss that. So like I'd have to leave. So that's why I felt like it was like there's so much to do. And the other thing I wanted to say about the vibe is that it was very, very family-friendly. There were so many kids there, um, which, you know, if you're on Twitter a lot, you might hear that other races weren't very family-friendly, you know, with women getting, um, like, 
harassed and assaulted and Mercedes fans getting their merch burned and stuff like that. Um, I know there's a couple races this year where that happened and I didn't see any of that where I was. And obviously my, it's just everything I say is to my experience. It's somebody else might've had a really negative experience and I, I wouldn't be able to speak to that, but my experience was really positive and everybody was really friendly and positive with each other. I ended up making a lot of like mini friends uh, of the people I was in line with. A lot of them ended up being Red Bull fans and they all were very nice to mm. me. And even though I was decked out in Mercedes gear, so it was just like uh, it was almost like the the content of your clothing didn't matter, and it was just about the character yeah. of your of yourself. You That's know, what mattered. <laughs> we, we've talked about the Grand Prix that I've been to. So I've been yeah. to Silverstone, I've been to Singapore, I've been to Spain, all the S's for some reason. Anyway, um, <laughs> but you're right; each one had a completely different vibe. Yeah, um, like Spain bizarrely felt small it didn't feel like it had as much going on as like silverstone silverstone felt very festively uh, there yeah. was like like you said lots of different food and rides and stuff for mm -hmm. kids and all that sort of stuff spain it felt more like just a race um and then singapore being a city race had a completely different vibe because you were being catered to by the businesses that were already there rather yeah. than people coming and setting up shop yeah. um so each race has a completely different vibe um and I hope we get to experience more of them in the future. Yeah. So somebody, the guy next to me at turn one where I was sitting was from Singapore and he's been to the race and he was telling me like, Coda is way better than Singapore. <laughs> he was like, um, the I think GA so. I think from TV to me, at least it looks like Coda is probably one of the best. Yeah. It looks like, I think in terms of having a good time, uh, I would say like Silverstone Coda and maybe Miami because people seem to have a lot of fun in Miami even if the racing wasn't good the thing about Coda and Silverstone is you get that experience plus the race is always good so um it's always going to be a good experience so yeah I mean the vibe was really it was like I was at a music like a three-day music festival that's the best way to describe it so you got there on Friday and then Saturday what was it like how early did you have to go because I remember when I went to Silverstone I sat at Cops Corner and, you know, the race didn't start till, I can't remember, 1, 2 p.m., something like that. But we got there for, I think, 6.37 in the morning, and it was already fully, like, packed out. Yeah. So uh, Saturday was, like, my big day to try and pack in as much stuff as I could, only because I, I missed out so much of Friday because between traveling and stuff. Which, you know, if I have to redo things, I'm going to try and get to, like, the track earlier in the week. So people had gotten there by, like, Tuesday and like you know Alex Albon had a meet and greet on Tuesday and then Nicholas Latifi did his Wednesday and then Jensen Button had his on Friday so if I had showed up early enough I could have you know seen these people the other thing that like so much of my experience was limited by my budget like I it's not like I didn't spend a lot of money on this I ended up spending you know a couple thousand dollars to make this trip work but everything was still done on a budget and had I like Spent a little bit more to get a hotel downtown, for example. People who had hotels downtown were seeing Nico Hulkenberg. Like, they saw him at breakfast. Someone saw George Russell ordering a crepe in downtown Austin. Like, those are the experiences I want to be part of. Nice. So, like, I didn't get to do any of that. But, yeah, so there's so much stuff happening in downtown Austin that I devoted my Saturday morning to doing that. So, I went into downtown Austin before the track. And there was a couple teams that were doing pop-up events. So, Williams had a pop-up event. That was the one where... um. Alex Albon and Nicholas Latifi and Jensen Button had been at Is this Iyer. where you had the video of doing the reaction testing? 
Yeah, so we'll post that on our Twitter. Uh, they had a lot of cool stuff there, and I was very early, so I was like the first person they let in that morning, which was awesome because I didn't have to wait in line. Uh, later in the day, you have to wait in line for hours, and I got to do like you know the reaction testing that the Formula One drivers do, uh, which was really fun, and I was really bad at it. Uh, I couldn't believe like how much better the Formula One drivers are. They had their scores posted compared to mine, was like really bad. But uh, there's that. They had the sim racing. They had a bunch of merch. They had like three different Williams cars. One from 1982 one from 2004 and then like one from uh the the current year 2022 so i got to get pictures with all the williams cars and even though it's williams they're like the slowest car on the grid it was so exciting just to be there and they had all of their like former stats up on the wall they're like seven time constructor champions five time world driver champions 194 race wins. it made them look a lot cooler than they were but it was just so exciting to to be at that event and then after that i went to the haas event so earlier in the week haas had had taken this cafe um, and really turned it into like their headquarters for the weekend. And they even announced that they're going to have a new title sponsor, MoneyGram. So the whole cafe was decked out in Haas stuff. So I went to that cafe. They had free coffee and they didn't have any like cars and stuff. It was just more like uh, Haas decals everywhere. and And I got to hang out there. They gave me some free merch too. And then the final event was a Red Bull fan zone event, but that was like huge lines for, and I didn't know if I wanted to spend two hours in line just to get into a Red Bull event. So I didn't go there. The other clever thing that happened in downtown Austin is there's a hotel called the W Hotel. It's actually like a, like a chain of hotels. I don't know if you have them in Europe, but we have these, we have like W Hotels here in America. And they took over, the, the Williams team took over the W Hotel and they made it their like full on headquarters for the weekend. So it looked really cool. You could see like, you know, uh, all of their team members were staying there. And so I, I just kind of took pictures from the outside. But there was a lot of stuff to do in downtown Austin. And that was just Saturday morning before I got to the track for FP3. So really, really busy morning for you then. Um, how did you get to the track? What did you do when you got there? Yeah, so, oh my God, there's. I feel like this episode is just going to be me talking and talking and talking. So I'm already yeah, apologizing. I think so. I think, and I want every last detail. <laughs> Yeah, so I get the feeling that this episode is just going to be me talking a lot because I just had, like, there's so much stuff to talk about from the weekend. Yeah. Just to share, share any of it with you. But yeah, so I finished all that around noon. So I will, every morning I woke up early. Friday morning I had to wake up early to get to the airport. Saturday morning I woke up early to get downtown. Sunday morning I had to wake up early for the race. But I, I finally, on Saturday, made my way to the track around noon and the traffic was already built up. You know, it's really weird coming into the track. There's this thing called Coda Boulevard, which is the main road that goes to Coda. And it's like five lanes wide either way. It's been expanded. It's glorious, magnificent. And yet, like, the fastest way to get to the track from downtown is to take, like, these side one-lane country dirt roads. And everyone follows their GPS. And the GPS doesn't take you down Coda Boulevard. So we're all stuck in like bumper to bumper traffic for like 20 minutes trying to get into the track. And on top of that, VIPs keep coming in. And I can't tell who it is. But every day that I try to get into the track, there would be like police escorts and all the cars would have to move on to the side of the road and the police escort would go down the middle. And like it would have like fan, they would be either um, escorting like big black SUVs or like fancy cars so like i think there's like an aston martin one day that was being asked i was oh, trying to that might have like, been one of the drivers i know i well i couldn't tell is it is it a driver later on there was a rumor it was brad pitt people were like oh did you see the aston martin that came in that was brad pitt so hmm. i don't know if that rumor is true or not but i did take a selfie with that aston martin as it oh, came nice. down 
And I, I'm going to consider that my selfie with Brad Pitt. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I know. <laughs> I don't really know. It might have been Seb. No, Seb bi- bikes into into the track. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a very tough bike from downtown to, uh, yeah, <laughs> he would have been absolutely gassed by the time he got to the track. He would have beat but, all uh, the traffic, though. He would have yeah. So, um, by the time I got to the track, uh, it was a couple hours before FP3, and I wanted to get to Coda Boulevard, uh, Coda Tower. So, I explored a little bit first i got to see all that stuff i was telling you about the oreos and the ice cream and all the other mm. fun stuff with the kids that was really nice honestly um mm-hmm. and and just to, i gotta say something else real quick because I'm, I'm just remembering things as i talk the track is absolutely massive like yeah. you don't get a sense of scale unless, until you go to a grand prix you can you can't yeah. tell from the tv how big this is mm. i experienced it the night before because i i park at turn one that's where i got my parking and i was trying to get to the green day concert and it was at turn 11, which is across the track. And it was such a long, it's, it's, like a, a, one, it's a one <laughs> hour walk to get to, to turn 11 from turn yeah. one. And like obviously if you're in a Formula One car, it takes 50 seconds or whatever. But it, when you're walking, it just takes forever. So just me exploring that morning, I yeah. took me like hours to explore. That's what I'm track. always so impressed. You know, they go out and they do these track walks. Yeah. Because I remember going to like Singapore and Spain or whatever. I don't think I saw more than one sector of the track because yeah, I didn't have yeah. time to get to other places. Exactly. Yeah. So I had a general admission ticket for everyone listening, and which means I didn't get a seat to sit down and watch the race. And I did this for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's considerably cheaper to get a general admission ticket. And number two, you, you do get to walk around and really explore the track for yourself. Whereas if you buy a seat, you know, you're kind of, obli- you don't have to sit in your seat. You can also walk around, but most people that buy a seat will just go sit in their seat and they'll only view, you know, that one straight or that one turn or corner that they get access to. Whereas I got to, because I had general admission, I didn't have a seat. I got to go explore more. Uh, but the kind of the downside to that is I was just doing so much walking. I had 20,000 steps a day is what I was doing at this track. But, you know, getting in line for the tower was really amazing. I have my Coda print from Little Prince 3D, and I really mm. wanted to go up to the tower so I could take a picture of it up there, and I, I got to do that. I think we posted it on our Twitter yeah. as well, so go check out our Twitter if you haven't seen it. It was a really good experience, and I, as I got onto the tower, FP3 started, so I got to see the, the cars racing the entire track, which was also really, really cool. Um, and that is definitely, there's a couple of things you got to try. If you do end up going to Coda once in your lifetime, you know, you have to try turn one cause it's iconic and you have to go up Coda tower at least once because it's iconic. And, uh, that's basically how I got to experience my FP3 was, uh, on top of Coda tower. And it's funny because I never watch FP3 ever. It's yeah. usually at like 5am and I never watch it. And I tell myself that, you know, FP is fake practice. And the <laughs> fakest of the practices is FP3. So FP3. I never pay attention so to So here's it. my question yeah. for you, because I still to yeah. this day remember the first Formula One car I ever saw live, yeah, which was a virgin racing car with Lucas Degrassi. Yeah. But then the second racing car I ever saw <laughs> was Michael Schumacher in a Mercedes. Nice. What was the first Maybe. car you ever saw and what did the engine sound like? Oh, that's a, such a good question. Uh, I'm trying to remember who was the absolute first out. It was uh, one of the drivers who didn't get a chance to participate in FP1 because of the uh, the rookies. So it was either a Williams driver or a Haas dri- or, or an Aston Martin. Um, 
I'm going to flip a coin and say Aston Martin because that one feels stronger to me. So I think it was probably Lance Stroll and his Aston Martin because the Aston Martins were out. Mm. Somebody's going to go back and watch FP3 and be like, oh, actually, no, it was the Haas that was out first. And I'm going to stand corrected. But it was, uh, I think it was the Aston Martin that was out first in FP3. And that was the first car I saw. But what really struck me is how much faster these cars are because we had one support series, the the in- Masters Endurance uh, support series, and they were all racing in like old like 80s and 90s uh, Formula One cars. And those things were really small, but really, really loud. But you can see those things go around and then you see the Formula One cars go around and they're just like majestic. And I'll, later when we get to talking about the race, I'll tell you the experience of how they sound like because it's a very unique sound. But they're they're just so cool. And uh, I had to wait a while for Lewis to come out. I remember he wasn't one of the first. Yeah. He took like 10 minutes to come out. I remember that as well, yeah. Yeah, so it was really – but yeah, yeah. So that, I think that was the first driver I saw. I, the second driver I, th- I think I saw was a Williams driver because I think it went Aston Martin, Williams, Aston Martin, Williams. So it might have been Alex Albon second. So I think it went Lance Stroll and then – and what was it like watching the cars take turn one at speed because to me after i saw them in real life i realized that on tv you don't get an appreciation for how quick they're cornering because i remember seeing them in real life and thinking we should all be sliding off and hitting a wall (laughs) how are these cars sticking to the road it makes no sense so i was going to talk about this when we talked about the race but i'll just talk about it now but yeah so we got to see a bunch of different cars because the F1 drivers did hot laps in like, you know, normal road cars. I mean, not, I say normal, but they were like, yeah, you know, yeah. McLarens and AMGs yeah. and all these nice cars. So I got them to see do hot laps in a road car. Then I got to see like the 1984 Benetton Formula One car. And then I got to see like a real Formula One car. And when you see the hot laps in the road car, you're like, wow, that's fast. And then when you see the Formula One car from the 80s, you're like, that's fast. When you see a real Formula One car, it is off the chains fast and the sound it makes going up the turn one hill sounds like i'm not even exaggerating it sounds like a spaceship i really tried to like get a good sound recording of it on my phone but it literally sounds like a spaceship taking off like a really low hum like Hans zimmer and interstellar sound and it's the coolest thing ever and one of the things that you don't really get to appreciate from behind the screen but you do in person all of these cars, all 20 cars, are a master class of engineering. We joke that the Williams is slow. We joke that the W13 is a tractor. But these cars are noticeably faster than anything else that you know we have to offer. They're so fast. And then within the cars itself, when the you know Ferrari um, and the Red Bull and even the Mercedes, when they're doing their flying laps compared to like a Williams, you can just see how much faster the top three cars are just from your eyes in pure pace. And it's it's really yeah. incredible. There's really nothing else like watching the race. Because somebody, somebody said online, like, oh, what is the best place to watch the race from at Coda? And somebody mm. said, oh, the best place to watch it from is your living room on TV. <laughs> you, know, you go to the track to experience things like the smell of the diesel and the sound of the car, not the diesel, but whatever, you know, gas they use and the sound of the cars and how fast they go. Yeah. The biofuel. And it's just, it really is not something you can describe unless you go see it in person. They are so fast and they hit those corners with such accuracy. You can really tell that these are good drivers. Like all of them. And I think, you know, the speed, it comes on so much. Like I was just looking at Q3 from this race. Um, Where's his face? Lance Stroll got a 135.598 yeah. um, for Q3. Yeah. And Sebastian Vettel, his 
uh, like pole position time when he was yeah. like dominating in Red Bull in 2012 was 135.6. Yeah. <laughs> so the Aston Martin, we make fun of it now, but yeah. it's as good a piece of engineering as that Red Bull was that Vettel was driving in. Yeah, you know, I and that's what I like. You really grow to appreciate the other teams by seeing them in person because you realize like these are all like the apex of engineering these are all the apex of drivers like except for nicholas latifi i have to have the funniest story to say about i have the funniest latifi story to say i'll tell you right now fine okay so you know how when you're watching a race and like you're looking yeah. at the timing screens and it's like you know latifi is usually like 50 seconds behind everybody else yeah the experience that that is in person is the funniest thing ever because you'll see like you know uh, Verstappen come by right behind him is Lewis right behind him is Leclerc and then Russell and then those are the top four and then like 15 seconds later all the other cars come by like right and then they're like all pass by and then you like sit down you're like oh okay I'm gonna wait now for them to come by around the other way and then like a solid minute later you'll see a lone Latifi come up the hill and everyone's like I forgot about him I forgot that there was a there was another Latifi there was a car in this and you're just like you like everybody else goes and then like a minute later you see like Latifi limping along like I can make it up the hill like it's it's quite funny but um yeah seeing those kind of gaps in person is he did spin I think that's why he was so far behind everyone oh did he yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, so he went off the track, sort of in a big circle, and then was by himself. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, there's a couple other, like, random things that happened in the Grand Prix that you don't know from watching TV. <laughs> like, um, I didn't know that uh, when the safety car comes out, it'll come out and then it'll just stop on the track until the leader comes and then the leader slows down when it sees the safety car. And then the safety car takes... Like, do you, have you ever seen that on TV? Like, do they ever show the safety car pull out and then stop on track and wait for the leader? Because that's the first time I ever saw it. Yeah, so I remember... I, I saw that on the TV here with the Aston Martin. They don't always do that. Yeah. I think it depends on where the crash is and what they're trying to collect. Oh, okay. Um, but sometimes it goes out and is just slow and picks people up. And sometimes it does that. But yeah, I, I remember thinking it was uh, a bit unusual because you would just see it stop on turn one and sit there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what, I mean, being at turn one, you got to see so much action. But that was one thing. The other thing, and this might be a little naive of me, but I didn't realize that the helicopter had a camera attached to the nose of the helicopter. I thought it was like a guy hanging out the side of the helicopter with a camera on his shoulder, shouting to the, the pilot like, all right, turn around, we got to get to turn four now. And like, just like, like holding on to dear life and also i i that's what i always thought was going on. i didn't realize that there was a camera attached to the actual helicopter that's a sky <laughs> once did a thing with martin brundle they sent him up in because i remember thinking it was quite funny because he, he went to like he did like a i don't know 10 yeah. minutes whatever on this is how the helicopter works this is how they get the shots and stuff but for sky to record it because they couldn't put their normal camera crew into the helicopter with martin yeah. bundle he went up there with like a little go oh. <laughs> to record himself <laughs> so, yeah that's so funny but yeah. um yeah but yeah so i mean uh the other kind of frustrating thing about you know the race weekend is you don't really know what's going on like, even in qualifying you get to see when they cross the line who goes up but you don't know what the gaps are and i was sitting right in front of one of the screens they have screens and speakers throughout the track 
Uh, and I was sitting right in front of a screen uh, with the speaker, but you really still can't tell. And like I said, the data is already a black hole. So you can't pull up the F1 TV app or your like ESPN app or the F1.com. And so you kind of just have to like rely on what information other people could piece together. So like I wasn't sure like what the gaps were or anything. So it was fun to watch qualifying. Um, and you got to see like drivers on their cooldown laps and stuff like that, warm up laps, which you don't normally get to see. But it was really frustrating from that point of view as a fan that you don't really get to tell, you don't really know what's going on. That's why the people say the best place to watch it from is still your living room. Yeah, it's a different experience. Well, when we got into the race, we can tell our listeners about our crazy mechanism that we had to get you information. But after qualifying was done, uh, what did you get up to? I think after qualifying was done, I think I uh, just went home. I went and got dinner in Austin, uh, and then I went home, and then... Oh, because it was later in the day for you. <laughs> yes, 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 it yes. was, because it was so late at night for me. I decided to sleep. I didn't watch it. Oh, Because I was like, right. there's so many penalties and things that are going to yeah. happen anyway. I was like, Lewis will be probably first or second row, yeah. um, and everyone else will have a penalty. Yeah, and so that was the nice thing. Lewis qualified fifth, but ended up starting third, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, so I had to wake up really early the next day for the race, because the co- the downside to being at turn one on the hill uh, with 30,000 other people on that hill is that you have to get there early to get your spot. So I show, I woke up at six, I got to the track <clears throat> around seven and there was already a rush to get in. And by the time I came in, the line to enter was down the entire turn one mm. hill. So it was a massive line to enter and it was already very, very full by the time I got there. Uh, easily a couple thousand people already on the hill. Uh, yeah. But I, I got my spot and uh that was where i stayed yeah well it was a really so here's the other other thing about turn one it's a really really good spot to view the race you get a view of the start straight the start uh, start stop finish turn one itself and then turn two and three because down the hill the other side and then because you're already so high up you actually get a view of the other side of the track so you get turns 15 16 17 uh, and then or, or I think 16, 17, 18, something like that. Or no, no, 15, 16, 17, 19. That's what you do. So you get a view of half the track, which is really unique at other circuits because you normally just get to see your little portion of the track. But being on the hill at turn one, you actually get to see like half of the track and it's really incredible. In terms of the race day. Yeah. How did that day play out? Were there support events I saw on the TV? Yeah. Andretti went out in a McLaren. Was that was that Sunday or Saturday? Yeah, that was both remember. days. And he basically did that because W Series was canceled. Everyone kind of felt the emptiness of not having W Series there. And I was really looking forward to yeah. meeting Bianca. And uh, it was really sad that she wasn't there. But one of the good things is that I think there's a lot more support now for W Series, even amongst common people. Mm. And then actual race day. So... The race started. I've seen your video. We've put it on YouTube. We've had like 3,000 people view it. But what did it feel like to see the start of a Grand Prix, hear that noise, feel those engines in your chest and see that Ferrari spin around? So yeah, the start of the race is something that was absolutely magical. And it's something I had been waiting for for so long and picturing in my head. But the the frustrating thing is the commentary and the speakers are so bad where you are. You don't even know when the race is starting. You have to <laughs> field for the five lights and they're so far away. And like, so I didn't, I, I, 
I only noticed that the lights were going out when it was on the third light. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I got to hit record. So when you watch my video, it starts at the fifth light. And it's just because yeah. you can't tell when it's going to start. But yeah, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The experience. It's like that was the pinnacle. If you ask me what was the best mm. part, it was the start. Yeah, it's always the start. Always the start. Yeah. Incredible. And seeing science spin out and you can hear all the Tifosi go like, no. And it's just like. It was just so, it was so, it was a once in a lifetime thing. And I was telling my family, I've had a couple different once in a lifetime experiences this weekend. I saw the start of the race, which was great. I saw Lewis Hamilton racing, which was great because I thought he was going to retire for a while. I saw Lewis Hamilton overtake Seb for the lead, which was incredible. I saw him lead a race and then I got to see him on the podium, which was its own thing. But Arfa, now it's your turn to talk. Tell me about how... The entire, my area of turn one, how we got commentary of the race. Tell me about that. It was so weird. So, because you said, look, I can't get onto the ESPN app. I don't have internet connection. Um, And I was like, okay, how how are you WhatsApping me then? But then you're you're trying to send images and videos. I was like, oh, okay, that's understandable. You can't send big data things, but text messages. So I was sending lap by lap updates on what was going on. And that's what our entire chat was. And you weren't replying to me after a while. And then your sister messaged me and said that you were only getting SMS text messages. So my WhatsApps weren't even getting through. And what we ended up doing was I would WhatsApp her, then she would text it to you. And then you would text her back asking specific questions like, what's the gap here? What's the gap there? And then I would answer, you know, through her again. And I think we were giving her stress because <laughs> she was like, what's going on? What is this? Yeah, there's a specific conversation. Do you have it where you said race on? <laughs> Do you want to read that out? Do you have it? Yeah, let me find it. Give me two seconds. <laughs> That's probably my favorite um, part of the entire thing. <laughs> so this is at 10 past nine my time and I'm sending her like minute by minute updates. And I go, Hamilton out in P6, nine seconds behind Vessel. So a bit of fresh air to hopefully get up to speed. And then you replied, okay, good. And then I said, Verstappen has fastest first sector and now stopping. Verstappen pit stop messed up. Ah, ah, has lost out to Leclerc. Ah, Hamilton P1, race on. And then I put it again, race on. And then both of us just started screaming <laughs> at each other. <laughs> you know, because you said Hamilton has to, has to run the most defensive race of his life. And then both of us just started yeah. screaming at each other. <laughs> do you know what we should do actually th- we should take some screenshots of this conversation and we'll, we'll put it on our twitter yeah. so that people can see what we're talking about Yeah, but you know your updates to my sister who was then updating me was how my entire area was getting like the commentary were you sharing it with strangers oh absolutely because no we can't really tell and you know they, they were selling these like very expensive headsets that could uh, yeah. dial into the commentary so you could listen to it straight into your headset. It was $140 yeah. and I actually paid for uh. it and I bought it so I can tell what was going on and they weren't working. And then I, tr- I, I tried to fiddle uh. with it, try to work it. And then I went to go return it and there's a huge line of people returning it. So I got my money back, but there's literally no way between the sound of the helicopter right above our heads to the sounds mm. of the cars, which are loud to the crowd cheering. There's no way you could have told what was going on during the race had yeah. you not updated me. So I wouldn't have known so much. When I when I went, I, I watched the race on Sky at the same time. Yeah. Just so that I could hear the commentary. Yeah. But if you don't have data, it's really difficult. Yeah, I, I'm like, I couldn't even text you. That's how bad my data was. Um, yeah. But it, the funny thing is like, 
once you know we got our communication sorted out i was in the future for the first time i usually watch on my espn app which is 30 seconds behind the live feed which is 30 seconds behind the real race so i'm usually a minute behind but this time you know the the crash happened between alonzo and stroll and i texted my sister big crash don't know who it is tell me who it is and then she texted you and then like a minute later, I got the response like, oh, it was Alonzo and Stroll. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> I was seeing things before. So, like, you would text me like, Lewis is going to pit soon. Let's see. And then I would see him exiting the pits. So, I'd have to text back like, oh, yeah, nice. he just pit. Like, I know you told me he's about to pit. So, like, it was really good. I felt like I was in the future. I'd be like, you're about to see this happen. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah. So, yeah. there, there. I mean, just a lot Amazing. of positives. And I know the, t- the tough thing for me is knowing that there were so many Mercedes fans at home watching this race and being sad whereas i was watching it and Mm. very happy because of the experience i was in so that was kind of a hard what was it like watching it from home and and kind of going going through those experiences because i have something i wanted to say about i think it was really tense i think because i was sending you just the gap between him and verstappen and you know after a while we stopped even sending sentences it was just yeah you know (laughs) 1.479 1.373 0.986 and when I had Verstappen passes, I, I sort of worked out that you were slightly ahead of me in time. Yeah. So I typed out the words Verstappen passes and I waited to enter yeah. the moment he's, it, the move happened because it, it was so inevitable. Yeah. And um, I don't know, it was, it was really tough, but I think, you know, maybe an hour or two after the race, I was like, actually to get to see Lewis try and fight for the win was actually really yeah. good because otherwise, you know, it might've been a race between Verstappen and Leclerc and Lewis would have been in P5 or something. You know, that's where we were yeah. at in the early part of yeah. the season. So to, for Lewis to be right up there. And what I also really like is the differences between the BBC and Sky. Again, I, I know I keep bringing this okay, up. Okay, bring it up. Because I have something I want to say about Sky. After the yeah. race. Yeah, so Sky after the race... <laughs> Um, their their headline was Verstappen denies Hamilton yeah. Yeah, win. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> now BBC's headline was Hamilton and Alonso grab some of Red Bull's limelight. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, Andrew Benson is the goat. Is Andrew Benson is. I know. Okay, you know what? This is an Andrew Benson uh, fan podcast at this point. <laughs> He is my yeah. favorite journalist of all time. I was going to say that the Sky headline was actually really eye-awakening for me because one of the things is, I, you know, after the race, um, I didn't even talk about the, We'll talk about the podium in a bit. But after the race, all the Mercedes fans were visibly dejected. It was actually cute. I saw, like, this, you know, man in his, like, 60s, like an older man, clearly been watching motorsport for a long time. Uh, or maybe he just got into it through Netflix. I don't know. But, you know, he was there decked out in Mercedes gear and he was sitting and he was all sad. And his wife was next to him and she was rubbing his shoulder. She's like, don't worry. There's always next year. And I was like, this is the experience of every Mercedes fan this year. There's always next year. Yeah. But, um, you know, you know, we were all, Mercedes fans were sad. But I just wanted to tell our listeners who may also have been sad and heartbroken that watching Lewis perform up close, seeing him drive – and seeing this race proved to me that he has not lost even 1% of his talent from last year. He is still 100% on top of his game. If his car was just a little bit faster, 
I think he would have won multiple times. I think in Canada, I think in Zandvoort, I think in France, I think at Silverstone, and I think here. I literally think he would have won at least three or four times had the W13 been just that much faster. I'm willing to say with confidence the W13 is the slowest car of his entire career. But the fact that he's able to take that, and Sky has to put out a headline that says, Verstappen denies Hamilton uh, a win with five laps left or whatever it was, which is a headline from last year, not this year. But the fact that he's able to recreate that tension where you're watching and you're like, who comes out first, Lewis or Max, just tells you that he's absolutely on top of his game. And he's already won all of the records and the awards. He's done everything he needs to do to prove to all the haters that he is the best of what he, at what he does. You know, one of the big discussions on the other podcast coming into this weekend was, are we entering an era of Max Verstappen dominance? And maybe we can talk about that later with Adam in detail, but I think that's telling that that's the conversation is now, is this, this is Max's time to prove himself. You know, for a long time, people said, if he has the best car, then, you know, we can see what he'll do. Now he has the best car. Let him try and prove himself. Lewis is done proving himself. Records don't matter for him anymore. Records, like, you know, today was the anniversary of his, like, uh, 92nd win, which was already another record, and records don't matter. If he wins this year, that'll be, you know, like us winning the championship. You know, that that's how it'll feel. But if he doesn't, at this point, I, I really don't think it'll take anything away from his achievements. I don't yeah. I think, like you said, his performance was incredible and it's just the car wasn't there and what i'll say is we should be happy for what we've had like i i am sad that he doesn't get the record of having one win every every season but you know the other person that had an incredible drive was fernando alonso um you know and for all his weird political stuff off track and all of these things i I don't think you can deny Mm -hmm. how good fernando alonso is and his performance here just showed that and if you're an alonso fan i don't know you know for those fans they've not had all those wins and championships and things they just appreciate Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. he is as a driver and actually that's the reason why we like watching Mm -hmm. lewis hamilton because of how incredible he is on the track so even if we don't get the yeah. win, this was a performance that yeah. you know we, we can all still feel really positive. I really, about. I really think so, and it, you know, I I think next year I think the W fourteen will be will be faster than the W thirteen because I, there's, we have nowhere to go but up. They cannot screw the car up more than they already have. So I, I'm excited for next year, but I think that this year will just go down as you know the time that Mercedes dominance ended for a little bit. And then Lewis Hamilton had to step back or something like that. But I don't think it's going to take away his from his records. I don't think it's going to take away from his legacy. I think he's focusing now beyond Formula One on, you know, Mission 44 and uh, making movies with Brad Pitt, you know, and making his music and, you know, yeah. being a Valentino uh, model and all this other cool stuff that nobody else is really doing. So, so many other I, I, I really yeah. like I'm watching him in person was what really showed me that we don't need the records mm. to prove how great he is. Your eyes can do that. Um, yeah. But I want to talk about a couple more things before we close out today's episode. Uh, one is the Fernando, Fernando Alonso penalty. And the other thing is my final experience from mm. the weekend, which was getting to the podium. Okay. Um, so, yes. right, you know, the last couple laps when it, when it was clear that Verstappen had dipped under one second to Hamilton, he was probably going to overtake him at one point. 
um, I just left my position at turn one and I started making my way down to the main grandstands. And there's two areas where officially you can enter for the track invasion, they call it, where you go to the podium and see the drivers up close. But there was already a huge crowd forming at both those areas. So I went to the main grandstand and um, I got to see Verstappen cross the finish line and win. Uh, which is like, you know, I guess that's an experience. So I get to see the, the world champion win a race. Uh, but as soon as it was over and, you know, the track was closed and fans got to go out, I like climbed down the main grandstands, which is crazy because I never do anything like this. And it's like a 15 foot drop from the final section of the bleachers to the track. Oh, I know. And I was like <laughs> hanging on the railing for dear life. And the other people sitting there were like, it's okay. You can do it. You can let go. And I was like, I'm, there's no, I do not have the upper body strength to do a pull up right now to bring myself back up. So I'm hanging on. Yeah. So I just let go and then tried to like, uh, not destroy my ankles and somehow it didn't hurt myself. Mm. And then crawled Good. under the catch fence, which everybody else was doing. And then over the barrier. And I got, literally right up to the wall between the- yeah your pictures are yeah, so, so I, good. I got right up to the where the pit lane wall is and then realized like if i get that close i actually can't see anything backed up a little bit so i could see lewis and i got to see him on the podium which was an yeah. incredible once in a lifetime opportunity to see lewis on the podium and i kept shouting like lewis i'm your best friend forever Lewis, what's your cell phone number? Let me call you later. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He chose to ignore me. I think that was probably the right move by him. No, he. I saw him. He held the trophy yeah. up oh, for you. I really felt that it was. Just I really for you. felt it was just for me because yeah. I was looking right at him and shouting and telling him how much I loved him. So uh, <laughs> that was also really really cool. And if you get to attend the Grand Prix, uh, try to get yourself onto the track for track invasion. Other people who didn't rush the mm. fence like crazy people uh they walked and they got there there's they now have extended the time in the cool off room so more fans can get to the podium so you'll be able to do it and i think that was really yeah. cool um uh, one quick thing before we get to fernando alonso's penalty who do you think was the most popular driver at coda like in terms of fan base Well, I, I would think it's Lewis Hamilton, but the fact that you're asking me makes me feel like it needs to be someone else. So, I don't know, Ricardo or Mick Schumacher? So, I would say Lewis Hamilton was the second most popular driver, which was really nice to see so much Mercedes love for him. Like, uh, it makes really, re mm -hmm. it reminds you that he has a huge fan base, not just on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, huge uh, fan base for Lewis. But the number one supported driver was Checo. There were so many Checo fans. Oh, it's close of course, to Mexico. because it's right Mexico's there, so yeah. close. Yes, before the Mexican Grand Prix, I, I totally forgot this, the U.S. Grand Prix used to be treated yeah. like a Mexican yeah. Grand Prix. Um, it, it, it's the same way, you know, before there was Dutch Grand the, Prix. the Grand Prix and, the, and, yeah, the Dutch one. So many Dutch people used to come to yeah. Austria yeah. or Belgium, and those became like unofficial Dutch yeah. Grand Prix. Yes, loads of Mexicans used to come to Cota, and they must Yeah, so the, I would say 45% of the fans were Red Bull fans, and of the 45%, 90% of that were Checo fans. And the Orange Army was so little, which was one of the nice things. Like, you didn't get to see so much, like, Verstappen love. It was all Checo love, which I can get behind Checo love. And then the other next, the next supported yeah. driver was Lewis Hamilton. He had a huge fan base, huge amount mm. of people who absolutely loved him. And then uh, after that was assorted like Tifosi and uh, a lot of love for Haas. Uh, and then Daniel Ricardo had a lot of fans. Uh, so it, after that it was assorted, but yeah, a lot of love for Checo. Um, but we got to talk about 
a non my experience thing. So, uh, you're saying Alonzo is a really great driver, and he pulled off a masterclass today to pull his car from flying. Yeah, so he got <laughs> involved in a yeah. massive accident. His car was on two wheels, slammed Amazing. into the ground, then slammed into the wall, and I, I was worried for his health. Like, yeah. forget the race. I was just like, I hope yeah, yeah. he's okay. Um, and I was worried we're going to start seeing ambulances yeah. or something like that. And then I started paying attention to something else. And the next thing I know, he is at the back of the snake behind the <laughs> yeah. safety car. And I was like, that car's still going? <laughs> What's happened? Um, and then he somehow races through all the way up to P7. And you see... Loads of people have put it on social media. There's a picture of him sitting on his front tire yeah. at the end of the race, and he almost looks broken. Uh, and it's just that, you know, he, he really believes in the code of the samurai and the warrior mm. and all these things. And you're like, today he really, like, embodied that. And then a million hours after the race, I went to bed, obviously, we get this news that he's actually P15 now because he's been given a 30-second mm. penalty. And it comes because Haas put in a protest that, hey, every time we have like a bit of our front wing hanging off, we get this black yeah. and orange flag that says you have to come yeah. replace that. Fernando Alonso had his mirror flapping away and then oh, it wow. flew off. So he should have got a penalty. So they said, yeah, Fernando, you should have had a 10 second penalty for that stop and go. But because the race has ended, we're just going to give you 30 seconds. And then lots of people said, well, Sergio Perez literally had a piece of his front wing hanging off like Haas did. Yeah. Why did he not get a penalty? Yeah. And I, I think I saw it on a Chris Medlin tweet, which was um, it stopped being a problem because it detached itself and flew yeah. away. And it's like, Rafael, do you hear yourself? You said this thing stopped being a problem because it did yeah. the thing that was dangerous, which is to fall yeah. off and fly away. Um, and I can understand Haas feeling aggrieved that they keep getting pulled in for their front wing. Yeah. Um, but the whole situation just feels like such a shame for Fernando Alonso because his little wing mirror flying off, like obviously you don't want it to fly into someone and hurt them, but it flapping around, it, it doesn't feel like it deserves a 30 mm. second penalty, you know, maybe some sort of financial slap on the wrist, make sure it doesn't mm -hmm. happen. I don't, I don't know what the right penalty is, but it feels too harsh and I can't believe you know, after fighting so hard for that P7, it gets taken off. But then here comes the next plot twist. Alpine have put in a protest against Haas, saying when Haas put their mm -hmm. protest in, the deadline had passed for when you can mm -hmm. put a protest in because it was so far mm -hmm. after the end of the race. So Alpine are now arguing that that protest was illegal mm -hmm. anyway and should mm -hmm. be cancelled. And so that is going to be heard on Thursday and the first I heard of this was you tweeting Jenny Gao being like, when is Thursday, Jenny? And I was like, what are you Did saying? Did you see why I said that? <laughs> yeah, because the date was wrong. The she FIA never responded document. to me. But I didn't realize to start with. Yeah, initially I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, because they said Thursday, October 24th. And like, I think that was yesterday. And yesterday was the 24th. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like... When is Thursday? So this this will carry on on I, Thursday. You know, I think you said this a couple but, of episodes ago, so I'm just going to quote you. I love waiting days and days and days for a press release to come out to tell me who finished in what position. So, um, yeah, I'm going to read. It's such a joke. Mm -hmm. I think with everything, everything, whether it's this penalty or Abu Dhabi or 
the other stuff that's happened to Haas or even the cost yeah. cap stuff. What's frustrating is the lack yeah. of consistency, but more frustrating is how long it takes for anything to be declared. Mm -hmm. You just want things to be consistent, predictable, and bang, happen straight away. Yeah. Um, because this way, it feels like, like someone said, you know, race, racing events used to be decided by racing drivers, whereas now it's decided by yeah. suits. In a so room. Adam was, you know, uh, texting us about this after when it happened, and I thought I'd read off some of his, uh, his texts. He said that, yeah, uh, if it's too late, it becomes the wrong call. Meaning, if it's too late uh, to do the penalty, you should you should not give a penalty. And he said, you know, apparently Max missed the track limit string FP one or during the uh, Q one, uh, which a lot of people pointed out on Twitter. Um, and they should have deleted his lap. But obviously, if it takes you that long to notice uh, that, and then he would have had to start from the back, then it becomes a wrong move. So. The FIA needs to be more vigilant. And he said, nobody in soccer or hockey five hours after the game would say, oh, we should have noticed X, Y, and Z and changed the results. And uh, so he was saying that it's after there should be a statue of limitations on these things. Here's the reason I disagree with that. I, yeah. I feel like if a driver breaks the rules and does something wrong, um, then you shouldn't just let it slide because nobody noticed. I feel like there should be a penalty. I don't think it should be applied retrospectively. I think it should be applied going forward or something like that. Like maybe Alonzo should have been given like a two plays grid drop or three plays grid drop. On the other hand, it's not really his fault. It's the FIA's fault for not telling Alpine anything in the race. I guess you could say that Alpine has the responsibility to know it. Yeah. What is this pinnacle of motorsport? They're like, you know, you re see the press release about what happened yeah. in Suzuka. And they were like, we didn't realize that Gasly was yeah. in the pit lane. It's like, how did you not know where one of the cars was? You know was? why? I'll tell you why. Because they were sitting at the track and the commentary is atrocious and there's no data. So they couldn't tell what was going on. And they had a cousin that was trying to yeah. text them and they couldn't get. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It all exactly. makes sense now. This is this is. This is who, you know, they were talking about having this external yeah. person, uh, like some faraway yeah. race control. This is what it is. <laughs> it's someone watching Sky trying to text them, being like, oh, guys, I think this is happening yeah. now. Um, but yeah, my, my bigger problem is more than the statute of limitations and all this sort of stuff is I, I feel like the way the FIA run things in terms of how quick things happen feels like it's fallen behind other sports yeah you know formula one has developed so no just formula one from where formula yeah. one was in the 80s to where it was in the 90s huge development and then again in the last 20 years more and more and more development and just you know it literally is the pinnacle of motorsport but it feels like the things around it haven't caught up and you know we see these and sometimes when they go to old racetracks the facilities yeah. aren't up to what they should be and all these sort of things and sometimes you, I, I think the problem with this is some of us will have experienced this in mm -hmm. our own workplaces you know like I, we work in healthcare right and sometimes you'll think the care that we're delivering isn't as good as it should mm -hmm. be but it never feels like one individual's fault because the system around them is so yeah broken yeah or outdated and so you're like you know, I don't feel like what happened with Alonso and all these things is mm -hmm. one person's fault. It's just the systems and the mechanisms. Like, why do they not have 
automatic data that tells you, you know, how far mm -hmm. you are behind yeah. the safety car. You know, like Gasly got a penalty for that. Um, just, you know, automating things, modernizing things, all yeah. that data and stuff. It feels like they don't have the tools to police things the way they yeah, should be Yeah, so... There's a couple of things I think we can, I hope for it moving forward. One is that some of these things become automated, like you said. The other thing I really hope for, and this is what George Russell is actually pushing for, um, which is like, yeah, this guy is such an enigma. He'll take out half the grid for no apparent reason, but then he will... <laughs> um, he'll take out half the grid. He'll take out, like, you know, anyone he perceives as a threat or is not a threat for the fun of it. Um, but then he'll advocate for things that I agree with. So he wants the revolving steward thing to end. He wants it to be the same stewards that go to every race or at the very least have more overlap. So it's not a completely brand new face every race weekend. And that is something that all the drivers support. And I actually see like Alonzo is very upset. He's got a, a voice. Last time he called the FIA incompetent and they listened to him. So I think that this is something we might actually see for next year. They've already taken out the revolving race directorship. They fired the other guy. Um, I think I think Niels Wittick is the one who got fired. Now Eduardo Fridas is here or maybe vice versa. But they did it because it wasn't working. And I think if they get rid of the revolving mm. stewards, I think we'll see a lot of the inconsistency go away. And I think that's the right way of, of doing things in the future. And, and it's really what I hope for because it is so frustrating to watch penalties be implied inconsistently. And yeah, like like you're saying, the track limit debate happens every few races. Exactly. Like, why is that not just exactly. automatic? Why is that? You could, you could literally set up in the camera, like you know, in American football, they have it like the camera system itself can see if somebody was out of bounds, you know, when they caught the ball. So like, and I'm sure they have stuff like that in in you know real football, uh, soccer, <laughs> but you could set things up like that. In <laughs> You can set things up like that in Formula yeah. One too. Like as soon as a, a car crosses the line, you know, okay, you get a notification. It's it's black and white, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing. Yeah. Last I thing I think either. we should say is uh, yeah. I still think Lewis can get a win. And my two places I hope for is Brazil because that's basically a home race. I just I have mm -hmm. hope in my mind that he can get one in Brazil and also Abu Dhabi. And I think because usually in the past eras of dominance. Everyone gave up by the time they got to Abu Dhabi, whoever was winning. Like, Lewis doesn't normally win yes. Abu Dhabi. It's usually Verstappen or Botas or Seb or somebody else. And usually Mercedes is focusing on next year's car. They don't even care about their own car. Went, yeah, they've sent half yeah. the staff home on holiday. <laughs> so I hope Red Bull does that. They've won both championships. Yeah. They don't need to push so hard in Abu Dhabi. And maybe Lewis will be there to pick up the scraps. Mm. Um, Arfa, do you have any other hopes for the rest of the season? No, just the same. But again, I'm just so happy Yay. that you had such a good time at the race. And yeah, it, it was so good. And I look forward to seeing more of your photos <laughs> yeah, and videos. Yeah, I'll all my stuff. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, now <laughs> that you have internet. Well, do I have internet? We'll keep that an inside joke for me and you. Do I uh, have internet, really? Yeah. But <laughs> thank knows? you, everyone, for listening to us. Uh, unfortunately, we won't have any more Bianca episodes because... Her season has ended, uh, but we do have uh, episode six of Donuts and Drivers. The audio version will be coming out uh, after Mexico. Just got to hear me talk, which I love hearing myself talk. So uh, yeah. I have no problem a with Muhammad that. special. Yeah, <laughs> special episode, Muhammad. Um, but yeah, we'll be back soon, hopefully with the rest of the season. And uh, we bid you all a farewell. Goodbye. Bye-bye.
This has been a production for Not That Good Media.